cannot sleep for a minute. I cannot sleep for a single minute because there is uh, always threat and uh, scaredness in my heart, sir. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer sitting in for Stephen Henderson. You could hear the fear in that man's voice. He's an Afghan interpreter who worked for the United States during our 20-year conflict there. He spoke with NPR's Steve Inskeep this week after the Taliban once again seized control of that country as the United States withdrew combat troops. You know, he believes that he and his family are in grave danger under Taliban rule. And although he's tried for years and years to obtain a visa to come to the United States, he hasn't had any success. And that's despite the fact that he was severely injured in battle when he was in and he was even awarded the equivalent of a Purple Heart for his service for the United States. Here in another clip from that interview with NPR, he talks about trying to reassure his children that they'll be all right. My family, my kids is telling me that bad guy is going to come and is going to kill you first dead than us. And I keep telling them, them, no, there are a lot of good friends that I have in America. I have made a lot of good friends and they're going to take us, baby. You don't have to worry about it. This story is sadly one of many like it today in Afghanistan. But some Afghans who fear for their lives, they've been more lucky. Uh, They've made it out of the country. Thousands are expected to come to the United States. But they, of course, will enter a country that has mixed feelings about refugees among all of our population here. In recent days, some right-wing pundits have likened them to terrorists. But there are also plenty of Americans who are more welcoming to them. Right now, I've got two people with me who have made it their mission to help people just like this. Deborah Drennan is CEO of Freedom House Detroit, which provides services and housing for asylum seekers. Deborah Drennan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you very much. Glad to be here. And Mihaela Mitrofan is director of New American Services at Samaritas, which is a statewide human services organization that provides refugee resettlement services across Michigan. Mihaela, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Jake. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you so much, both of you, for taking the time to join us. I know you're very busy right now, but uh, first of all, I'd like to get a sense of the work that that both of you do, the process for bringing people who fear for their lives to the United States and resettling them is complex. We've heard a lot about the bureaucracy involved, uh, but you both touch different sides of this process. So, uh, Deb, I'd like to start with you. For those who don't know, uh, what is Freedom House? You you, uh, focus on asylum seekers. Correct. That is correct. So um, uh, Freedom House Detroit is a temporary home, but a lifetime community for asylum seekers. And asylum seekers are individuals who, um, in in this case, uh, true for um, Afghanistan, but who are forced to flee their country. Uh, They have suffered, these are some key terms here, persecution and have or have a well-founded fear of future persecution. And uh, to obtain asylum, you have to, it has to be based on uh, this persecution uh, based on race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. So when someone's coming to the country to seek asylum, most cases they have fled their country, unlike what we'll hear from uh, Mahela in a bit about those that are assigned to the United States. So for us, uh, servicing asylum seekers, when they do come to the country, 
uh, we then, uh, they get to Detroit and we then help them to assess their eligibility for asylum seeking. Uh, and I think this is what the community wants to be assured, you know, as Congressman, um, you know, Kilby was talking about and you've been addressing that, you know, how do we rule out that they're not the terrorists and um, working at Freedom House for over a decade and even being in the human services at Freedom House for nearly 40 years of service and the system has not failed. And so, yeah, we could look at some um, mainstreaming and looking at it differently. But the fact is when someone comes into the country to seek asylum, the vetting process is pretty intense. Mm -hmm. So we're between what legally they're uh, required to do and what Freedom House then and our own assessments, meeting with lawyers, meeting with social workers, meeting with uh, a, a myriad of staff to as we're navigating their way into uh, you know, asylum status and then uh, stability. But I think it's um, definitely uh, a place where the, the the vetting process has proven to be successful. Long, arduous, but hmm. but indeed successful. Yeah. And and that's based on you know ninety eight percent of our clients who are seeking affirmative asylum are granted. So um, I think that that is one aspect. And so at Freedom House, what we're doing is. Uh, once they're in the country doing their legal work and then immediately moving them towards uh, acculturation with language. Uh, many are, are employable. They have skills. They came with incredible skills. They've been working, as you've been mentioning, they're human rights people, they're doctors, lawyers, accountants, different aspects of uh, you know keeping uh, their own economy sustainable. And when they come here, they have those skills, but they just can't navigate through the American work culture. So we want to be able to help them do that while they're working with a housing case manager to actually have a housing plan. So when they're, when they finished, and I, I don't think it's, um, you know, unfair to say that like many other cultures and communities, we find ourselves wanting to move into communities where like, uh, you know, our cultures are the same, our language might be the same, grocery stores and, you know, facilities open to accommodate, you know, where I live there, there's a lot of um, uh, Bosnian and, and Serio, Serio, that conflict. And so there's a lot of food and restaurants that cater to that, that community. And so there are pockets where I think most of us are most familiar with is Dearborn, where a lot of uh, Middle Eastern people, you know, tend to, um, to move because the services are there. And so it's, it's Freedom House has demonstrated that welcoming asylum seekers, putting them into the community. And I love what Congressman uh, Kilby said was services return to the taxpayer, right? So um, when people come in and they seek asylum and they're granted and they move and then their families come, um, then they, they, they contribute to the tax base of the community. And so it, it's a cycle that's necessary um, in every way. Mahela, talk about the work that Samaritas is doing with refugees. If I'm not mistaken, I think I saw on your website uh, a big banner that said, "Help us, um, you know, get people safe from Afghanistan." Uh, what, what? Talk about the the broader work that Samaritas does, and specifically what you're doing with Afghanistan. Um, yes, definitely. Um, so Samaritans as a resettlement agency stands ready to welcome our allies and their family members. We resettle refugees for decades through the very low refugee caps of the last several years. Mm -hmm. So preparing to welcome hundreds of refugees this year. Many of them waited in camps for years. And um, this is where I want to 
kind of um, circle back to to what Deb said. Um, the overseas process is very arduous. Uh, it takes several layers of vetting, lots of interviewing uh, by cross, you know, cross referencing of databases and information that refugees uh, initially include in their refugee application. Um, and um, some some of them are waiting for years, even decades. There are certain countries that um, we, we refer to refugees who spent 18 years in a refugee camp. I mean, their kids were born there. They tried mm-hmm. to get some schooling, some education. I mean, we, we see so many stories. Uh, so mm-hmm. I want to highlight the fact that the process is very, um, very structured, um, goes through through many, many layers, and uh, it hasn't failed, as, as Deb mentioned. I mean, we've driven great success with the refugees, the tens of thousands of refugees that we resettled in the last several decades. So um, just specifically for for the anticipated uh, numbers of refugees, uh, not just from Afghanistan, but from all over mm-hmm. the world, we, we will do everything uh, we can to be ready to support them. So uh, we are the largest resettlement agency in, in the state of Michigan and in the country among the, the largest ones. So our numbers, of course, are approved by Department of State. So they have the call, the decision-making power um, in terms of how many refugees will be referred for placement in Michigan. Samaritas is scaling up from 100, which was the plan number for this year to at least 500. So it's a lot of work that goes into building or rebuilding the infrastructure and um, hiring staff, training them, um, just boosting up our resources, volunteers, and um, community connections to, to welcome uh, refugees. And, and that, that boost from 100 plan to 500, you said, is that a direct uh, response to Afghanistan? Um, not only. So with the, with the presidential uh, determination um, annual cap for refugees for, for um, next year, we are preparing for increased numbers. So, yeah, the, the number was announced to, I mean, we, we expect the number to be 125,000 refugees starting October 1st for the entire fiscal year. Uh, and this is where Samaritas has stepped up mm-hmm. and uh, is preparing to resettle the 500 just in, in Southeast Michigan. Our statewide number is over 1,000 because we do have an office in Grand Rapids. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, and for Stephen Henderson today, we're talking about refugees. We're talking about the process that they are forced to go through to get to the United States and be resettled here and the bureaucracy of it all, but also the politics of it as well. And we want to hear from you. Uh, do you personally welcome refugees, especially those from Afghanistan who worked for the United States Or are you someone who has reservations about allowing more refugees into the United States? Do you think the United States overall is a welcoming place for immigrants and for refugees? And what message do you think it sends uh, with, with, with our policies 
what do we say to the rest of the world if we are not doing what other countries are doing to help these folks? The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter, and we will try to work your comments and questions into the conversation. I'm talking with Mihaela Mitrofan, who is Director of New American Services at Samaritas, a statewide human services organization that provides refugee resettlement services across Michigan, and Deborah Drennan, CEO of Freedom House Detroit, which provides services and housing for asylum seekers. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is important to touch on here is, again, that bureaucratic mess that folks face. We heard from the interpreter at the top of this uh, conversation who spoke with Steve Inskeep on NPR, uh, who said that, uh, you know, that it was a polygraph test after many steps that he went through over a number of years uh, that 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 essentially canceled his uh, his entire application process. Uh, this is, again, despite the fact that he was injured in battle for the United States as he worked for us. Um, you know, one of the reasons he thinks that might have happened that he didn't pass the polygraph test is because he has PTSD from his service to the United States. Uh, I'm curious what both of you think about, uh, is, this, is, is this burdensome to the point that it makes no sense. Uh, you know, obviously, as we've said, you want to make sure that you're covering security issues and, and the people who are coming here are the people that are going to uh, improve the community and, and uh, or at least, you know, be be uh, be here just to live their lives. Uh, but Deborah Drennan, what specific steps of the process do you think need to be reformed? Oh, there are many. So for asylum seekers in particular, there are a couple that we advocate um, for a shift uh, or, or, you know, to revisit. One is for an asylum seeker in the United States, again, unlike a resettled refugee, when someone comes to apply for asylum seeking safety in the United States, they have one year from the date they entered the country uh, to do that. Some people don't know. Uh, look at the pandemic. Uh, so many offices were closed, uh, staff, short-staffed. Um, and so it was almost impossible, even for, uh, you know, our own organization you know, trying to reach embassies or, or make communication on behalf of clients or family members that they are legally eligible to bring to the country once they've been granted asylum. And because of the pandemic, things people closed. So, you know, that that extending that period um, would be really helpful, not only for uh, the claimant, of course, but also for those that are, are serving the, the client, both in the um, USCIS and as well as the service provision. The other um, would be to look at uh, employment eligibility. So an asylum seeker cannot, let me repeat this, cannot legally earn an income during their application process. So that means that for at Freedom House, if it takes eight or nine months to complete a case, all has to be translated in English. So there's a lot of work that has to go into a claim and to assure people that it is a, a you know not a frivolous claim moving forward, a lot of detail. Um, the government, of course, has an expectation of what an asylum application looks like. And we have our Freedom House has its own uh, standard, if you would. So that takes a bit of time. And then once they submit the client claim, so let's say that's been you know eight months, and uh, 
people are not eligible to apply for asylum, uh, for work authorization, excuse me, until a year after the government receives their application. So that's easy two years in the United States without being eligible to work. Um, and that is clearly a hardship on claimants and why housing uh, services at Freedom House is so important. And what people don't realize too, is that we serve a homeless population. They happen to be refugees or asylum seekers, but they are homeless. And so our local continuum of care, which is the housing you know, platform services for um, that was required under the Hearth Act, has been a, a wonderful supporter uh, to recognize the need for services for uh, asylum seekers, including Freedom House in uh, you know the the funding uh, pools for HUD housing and urban development resources. So I think that employment piece is that what do people do? Where do they live? How do you get a lawyer? How do you eat? How do you take care of your family? This is why you know they aren't eligible for mainstream benefits. So when people say, oh, they're using you know food stamps as we used to call it, a bridge card, or you know they're they're working under the table. I have to assure you that those are reasons the government would disqualify them immediately for their application for asylum. So we have to be, you know, look at that process as well is how, how can people be more self-sufficient during the process um, and contribute to the economy? Again, uh, uh, Mr. Kildee's comment of services returning to the taxpayer contribute back. So that's another aspect that we look at um, in terms of what needs, uh, you know, some there there's a list of them, uh, you know, for sure. But I think, um, you know, that is certainly one and the cap. Right. So as Mahalia was saying that th this is the cap has to increase. I mean, um, it, in Michigan in particular, you know, when you look at our census and you look at even the city of Detroit and how proud we are to be a community that has an opportunity to build uh, the, the citizenship back into the city, you know, we, um, with immigrants and what that can bring. So uh, very proud of that um, opportunity as well. Um, so I, I think that's um, just some of the aspects of being able to, you know, um, make that shift so that more people um, can live here safely yeah. and build back our economy. Mahila Mitrofan, I want to get your take on this as well, but we're going to take a short break first and we'll get to your uh, thoughts on how the process should be reformed and streamlined right after this. And we want to hear from you, the listener. Do you welcome refugees here in the United States? Do you think that we should have more refugees coming to the United States? Uh, or are you someone who's more skeptical? And do you think the United States overall is a welcoming place for refugees? 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Nada, you are up next here on Detroit Today. Now, an update from WDET General Manager Mary Zatina. Our summer has been a bit like yours, wet. WDET suffered severe damage in the late June storm. Wayne State University dried us out and is restoring our facility one soggy wall at a time. We lost some historic memorabilia and her central air. It's hot. We have bad hair days, but thank God it's radio. The WDET team remains on the air with only our spirits slightly dampened. We launched the Constitution Book Club, the Artist Next Door Project, an online guide to summer fun, and a voter's guide. And for the first time in a long time, you joined us at some fun events. Our news team has not wavered, bringing you the news no matter what. And the new transmitter is on the way. 
We are diligent. We are resilient. WDET is here for you. And thanks to your generosity, we always will be. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Near in for Stephen Henderson today. We are talking about the situation in Afghanistan and the thousands of people who are trying to get out of that country after the Taliban retook the entire country and want to come here to the United States and the work that's being done right here in Michigan to make that happen. I'm speaking with Mahela Mitrofan, who is director of New American Services at Samaritas, a statewide human services organization that provides refugee resettlement services across Michigan. And I'm talking with Deborah Drennan, CEO of Freedom House Detroit, which provides services and housing for asylum seekers here in Michigan and as well. And we want to hear from you. If you want to join this conversation, the number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. And you can also use the hashtag Detroit Today to send your comments and questions on Twitter. We'll try to work you in that way as well. Um, and Mahela, before we get to listeners, I wanted to um, extend that question we were talking about before the break to you now about really these kind of horror stories we've been hearing from Afghanistan right now about the years that it takes to go through this process and some of the steps and the rejections that seem on on the face of it for to, to a layman like myself kind of absurd. Uh, what are your thoughts about the, the process that these people are going through and the ways that it could be better? Yeah, I, I would say um, the process is very, very rat tape. Um, it takes... Um, a long time for for refugees and special immigrant visa applicants to to get through the process and be cleared for resettlement in the United States. And um, I, I just want to touch on the on the main points of that U.S. refugee admissions program screening process because it is important for 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 the audience, the, the public to to learn how how many steps are involved. So. It, the first, the, the application goes through a Department of State counselor lookout and support system. Uh, they are biometric, biogra- biographic checks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they occur at multiple stages throughout the process. And uh, um, next goes, uh, the process goes to the security advisory opinion. There is an interagency check. Uh, finger, FBI fingerprinting check. There is an automatic biometric identification system. Um, there is a Department of Defense forensic and biometrics agency automatic identification. I mean, Jake, I could go on and on. Um, as I mentioned, refugees uh, could could be waiting uh, in in those huge lines uh, for 18 months, two years six years, and even 18 years. So I think it is important to understand that this process is very structured, very complex. And, mm-hmm. you know, once once refugees um, arrive to, to the United States, we pretty much, um, our team begins the, the resettlement process, which is uh, what Deb described, right? I mean, those are pretty much homeless individuals that we welcome at the airport, and we wrap around them services that meet their immediate needs. And those are shelter, food, and access to health care. 
We have a very short 90 days to connect refugees to resources and prepare them for employment, enroll the kids in school, adults um, in English classes. We teach them about finances, the culture, the, culture, the laws. So it's a lot they need to, to absorb in three months. Um, and we promote self-sufficiency through employment, and we empower them for long-term integration in the community. Um, I would just, if I may, Jake, um, yesterday, <clears throat> talking to, to my staff, uh, we heard some very heart-wrenching stories. And your question included, <clears throat> you know, what happens overseas and how how uh, the situation is in Afghanistan with those who are waiting for, for processing. And uh, we learn about the family of one of our Afghani clients who his whole family had to flee um, in, in a rush. And they live together with other 24 families in a cave in the mountains. Mm. And they fear for their lives. They grab their stove and whatever they could grab from the kitchen. And this is where, you know, this is what the reality is for Afghanistan. So those are family members of of uh, allies who supported our troops for the last several years yeah. in Afghanistan. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I want to get to a call here from Nada, who works in this field. Uh, Nada, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, yes, my name is Nada Belgamuni. I am the Global Education Director for the International Institute of Metropolitan Detroit. And this country is a nation of nationalities. This is the only place in Earth, the only planet we have suitable for life, is to be called the capital for peace. And if we didn't take the world within, you know, we yeah. having no friends. And in the uh, Detroit metropolitan area, we are the welcoming mat for the entire world. We have people coming from all different nationalities, and uh, they fit beautifully in our culture and in our society, and they are regretted, not a liability, as some people think. Yeah, Nada, I really appreciate this call, and I, I really appreciate the sentiment as well. I also want to get to Andrew in Ypsilanti as well. Andrew, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, thank you for having me. What would uh, you like to say? Um, I said thank you for having me. Go ahead, Andrew. Okay, uh, I... I, uh, for one, I, I welcome people who are in these situations to where they need to seek refuge in the United States. And I think that there's probably places to, uh, to improve the process so that we can have more people. But I do appreciate the process and the fact that it's supposed to keep out, like, people from, from falsely claiming so that, like, Taliban and stuff can, can come into the country. But I think that the refugee system is, I think that it's great that we're accepting people. And I think that, that they, they can and are just as American as anyone else, you know? Yeah. Andrew, I, I'm running clo- short on time, but I'm curious, uh, overall, do you see the system as something that needs to be streamlined? Or do you think that it's working the way it is? I think that, it, uh, I think that there are places it should be streamlined. I, I obviously don't know every inch of the system. Mm-hmm. But I also do appreciate the fact that it is 
supposed to uh, keep out uh, Taliban and mm. and ISIS and other extremist groups. Yeah, Andrew, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for the call and thanks for listening. Of Thank course. you. Um, and uh, Deborah, I, I want to get, uh, you know, we've only got about a minute left here, but I wanted to go a little bit higher level here uh, after those two calls and talk about uh, that question that I posed to listeners earlier about what message we project to the world. Uh, I think a lot of Americans view the uh, sort of a basic American identity as about acceptance and about welcoming people. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about how this is sort of top of mind right now and what our actual policies, how they actually reflect or don't reflect that? Um, You know, I am forever the optimist and working at Freedom House for so many years. I do believe that there are a majority of people who do want to support welcoming of refugees and immigrants. Um, That there are uh, oftentimes they're the people who are getting the work done, meaning that, you know, recognizing, for instance, in Detroit, your own backyard where you have a service, you know, both with Samaritas and Freedom House, um, where, you know, get the work, whether volunteering or donating, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we see that, but they're not always the ones in the news. They're not the ones who create great titles and names of things. And <laughs> sure. so um, I think that's part of it. Uh, my experience is that there are a really uh, a lot of people, landlords, they want to be found. They want to be able to house. And then, you know, there's a lot of shifty characters. Yeah. But I, I think one part for the United States, yes, Deb, I'm sorry, been- we're, we're out of time. Okay. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but we got to go. But Deborah Drennan All with right. Freedom House Detroit and Mahela uh, Mitrofan with Samaritas. Thank you both for joining today. Mahela, thank you. It's great to be with you. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Thank this is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Thanks so much for listening today.